Welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Lovelace. And I'm Danielle. All right. We have a very exciting episode today. We have a mega-sized listener feedback section this week, since we didn't have listener feedback last week. I know that some of you may be wanting to get to the meat of the episode, so if you just want to skip the listener feedback, I'm going to go ahead and include the time code to when the discussion starts on the third wish. But I really encourage you to listen to the feedback, and I wag my finger at you if you skip it, uh, because we have some really awesome feedback every week, and that's kind of the whole purpose of this podcast, right? It's it's a book club. Give him the old finger wag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the whole purpose of this podcast is that it's a book club, and so we read the books, and we come back and talk about it. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends is the theme of the whole thing, so... The three of us give our feedback on the show, but if you're listening, um, you're a big part of the show as well, and we'd love to hear from you. We were so thrilled to be featured in Mignolaversity's new update for August 2018 by Multiversity Comics. And Mark Tweedell, thank you so much for mentioning us alongside another Hellboy podcast. We really appreciate the love, and we got a bump in downloads after the article. It's a huge compliment for us to be featured along all this like legit, real Hellboy stuff, right? Thank you very much. There's also a Comixology sale going on right now on off of Dark Horse Comics, 50% off until 9-10. So if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, you have about a week left. And I think Dark Horse Digital is going to be doing their own version of the sale too. So uh, download those digitals. I want to thank Jerry Turnbull for sharing us on the Mike Mignola's Art Facebook page every week. And Reddit user Middenway for sharing us to the Mignolaverse subreddit every week. Um, thanks a lot to some Reddit users... Gone Snake, Last Borg, Marvel King 666 for some positive feedback. We had an awesome Reddit comment from Ectoplasmic Man. I wonder who that's a reference to, right? He says, as a huge Hellboy fan, I've been wanting a podcast like this for a while. I hope you guys will keep going through the whole Mignolaverse like this. I've already recommended it to a friend, and I'm currently lending my trades to. He's going to start listening too. I have read all the Mignolaverse several times and never feels like enough. So I think that that was awesome because yeah. he's like, not only is he excited about it, but he's getting his friend into it, and that's kind of the whole point. That's the whole yeah. That's the whole point is to kind of uh, sure. ma- make it a make it a book club between you all too. Uh, I would love to hear um, what you have to say. I also want to talk about Nathaniel Green on Facebook. He has just started listening to the show, and he gave us a slew of like and comments over the last couple of days on some of our earlier episodes. You know, if you want to discuss a story that we've already talked about, please uh, do. You know, we we do want to hear from you. He had some pretty interesting stuff to say. He also gave us a rating on Facebook, which uh, really helps us out. It it helps uh, bring more visibility to our group. He shared a trailer for this Sinking City video game. It looks really cool. It's like a Cthulhu-type game. It incorporates a lot of the Cthulhu mythos and H.P. Lovecraft stuff. That looked pretty cool. He talked about our logo. He gave the logo some love. He wanted to know when we can see some t-shirts of the logo. I I don't know how I feel about that because it's actually something that, you know, Mike Mignola designed it and I just kind of fiddled with it a little bit to make it like for the book club. It was almost kind of a joke. I'm glad you like the logo. That's really cool. But I don't know how I feel about selling what is essentially a ripoff of someone else's art. I'm (laughs) using it because I actually asked him, I said, hey, is it okay if I use this logo? He was very nice. He was like, yeah, sure, of course, no problem. Thanks for asking. And 
you know, because it's it's just to represent the thing. I don't know if it's uh, yeah. I guess I could I could design something that's not <laughs> a complete ripoff of Mike Mignola's. We definitely logo. have to ask permission or something like that if we yeah, were going to do something like that. I don't know how I feel about that. Seems kind of. I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know if we could do that. Like but the, just the principle of the thing, I'm not really comfortable. But I'm with. glad that you like it yeah, that much not, that oh, you yeah, would wear a t-shirt. Of very it. nice for sure. And I'll you know I guess I'll try and design something. I would wear a t-shirt of it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I have to do some actual fucking work now though, which is you know. No no no. This, this isn't supposed to be about work. <laughs> Nathaniel also talked about our discussion of Nextman 21 way back on our first appearance of Hellboy episode. He thought that we could have been a little bit more charitable to John Byrne's Nextman. Um, we were a little bit of dismissive of the, of the content, but he did say, to be fair, um, we're just coming in on the 21st issue. So, you know, I, yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, to I, be I, fair, I, I don't know anything else about any of that story. Yeah, I, but I, I do want to address that because somebody else, I think, had also said something about that on one of the Facebook pages, and I think later, in a later episode, we came back and we gave John Byrne some love, Yeah, you know, later on, so I think we have a section before Wake the Devil where we talk about his work, but no disrespect no, to John, John Byrne No, John Byrne's great. We're not at all trying to say anything about that. And, and the more that I've learned about Next Men and about that whole comic, it seems like it's a really cool title. Sure. There's a lot of, like, meta jokes going on in there. They've got John Byrne and Mignola as characters within the comic, which I didn't know about when we read it. So it seems like it would be interesting. I just haven't had the chance to get into it. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, all love to John Byrne. I mean, he's one of the first artists that I... He was probably my first favorite artist when I was collecting comics as a kid. You know, I mean... Yeah. His work on the X-Men and and West Coast Avengers, especially the Vision Quest story, was some of the, my yeah. introduction to comics so yeah all love for john Byrne, and i try not to get i try not to get too critical so i'm um, um thanks for you know i yeah. always i always appreciate it if like hey you know i don't want to be too critical yeah of course of course and i take all that feedback to heart nathaniel also talked about the forward to seat of destruction we talked about that it was dedicated to hp lovecraft and mignola's wife but it's also dedicated to elmer newton so nathaniel said who is elmer newton I tried to look it up. I couldn't really find anything. I don't know if maybe he was just someone that Mignola knew, or maybe he has some significance that I was just wasn't able to track down. But if you know who Elmer Newton is, please let us know. I'd be interested to know more about that dedication. Regarding our short stories episode, we got some feedback to maybe break up the future short story episodes a little bit. Our last short stories part two was over two hours long. <laughs> So, you know, I think that that, uh, we're going to do a couple more short stories episodes. I'm going to try to break those up a little bit more. No, we're going to do five hour episodes (laughs) from now on. Let's do it. I'm on. I'm ready to. We had some. I'll a pot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We had some really cool feedback from our Podbean page, Podbean commenter, The Wild Yambi. He was telling us about the Midnight Circus. This is coming from Duncan Fagredo, who illustrated The Midnight Circus. This is the point in the book where everything changes. While I was working on the other Hellboy books, I developed a line-and-wash style that seemed to lend itself to my take on Hellboy. When we started talking about Midnight Circus, I suggested to Mike that maybe I could draw the book in this style. Mm. Mike wisely suggested that we should maybe split the book between ink and line-and-wash. It was a good call. It immediately suggested a transition between two worlds, harsh reality and the softer, darker, more ethereal dream world of the circus. The placing of that transition was then obvious. The moment Hellboy crosses over the broken wall, he breaches the dream world. I didn't notice that. 
Yeah, super cool. It's very much the moment the black and white Dorothy wakes to the Technicolor splendor of Oz. Every page went through a similar process, thumbnail scrawl on a script, then a rough layout drawn at print size. That layout would would be scanned and printed out larger so then I could place it on a light box and transfer it, correct it, onto watercolor paper. Oh. Wow. That's, Next, wow. And, and that's not it. Next, ink the line work and either finish it with solid ink or watercolor, depending on what was needed. I expected this transition to be tricky as it combined both, but it went relatively smoothly. Sometimes things just work. That's great. Yeah, so I really love that. It worked amazingly. It was, yeah. yeah, really cool. I'm actually really... I'm such a fucking nerd. I was actually really interested in that process. Yeah, so. and we, we, we talked for a while afterwards. We were like, what is that style called? And then I have a sketchbook of this Duncan Fergredo's, and, and it says on the front, line and wash. I was like, oh, duh, I should have known. It's, no, it's, it's line and wash, yeah. I'm sincerely like, fascinated by that. That's like the um, Wizard of Oz reference, because that's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, yeah, like yeah. From when she steps out of the... Sure the um house <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> regarding the midnight circus again jerry turnbull our pal over on facebook said that margaret's attitude towards comics in the midnight circus reflects the feeling prevalent at the time with comics leading to juvenile delinquency and the appearance of frederick wertham mm. so frederick wertham uh, he wrote the seduction of the I innocent hate that guy <laughs> yeah the Seduction of the Innocent was a book that basically said comics are turning kids into delinquents. Oh, man. Well, then there was also like hearings in Congress with that stuff. Yeah. And it was yeah. like the precursor to the whole McCarthy hearings. Yeah, yeah, but I like that. And it almost completely destroyed the comic industry. I mean, it, it almost ruined them. I mean, right. like EC Comics. And I want to see Wolverine fucking smoking cigars. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, Wolverine wasn't even invented at the time, so, man. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. But, uh, yeah, so that gives us that historical fiction again this is like uh, something that's taking place in an actual place in history where comics were kind of seen as a juvenile delinquent thing regarding king vold jerry turnbull corrected me that i thought that it was a picture of hp lovecraft and broom's house and it's eichmann and and they show that picture both times that he's talking about eichmann okay so that's who that picture's of that they flashed to but i thought it was hp lovecraft And so, you know, I was all excited about that, and it had nothing to do with that. So thank you for that correction. (laughs) Jerry Turnbull also talked about in our discussion of the corpse. This is when Scott Alley began to work with Mike. We haven't really talked about Scott Alley. He's the longtime editor of Hellboy and all the associated books. He keeps all the continuity in order and all that. And he came on as a temporary editor, and he was told only to correct spelling mistakes, but otherwise stay out of Mike Mignola's way. (laughs) However, he saw a picture in the corpse where uh, he's going to put the corpse in the hole, and the hole doesn't really look like a hole. It looks kind of like a shadow, and he told Mignola, I don't think this looks like a hole. And Mignola was so happy to receive this sort of feedback, he said, I want this guy on all my books. Yes. yeah, and I Artists actually, are happy to get feedback that is helpful, for sure. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story. And I went back and looked at that picture, and it does kind of look weird. It's kind of a go back and look at that picture of the corpse where he's about to, when he finally finds the freshly dug grave. Well, it's possible that he might have altered it after he heard the feedback. But that, yeah, that's pretty interesting. We also posted about what was the music note that's coming out of the Imog Fada, the one grave place that Hellboy yeah. can't get into. Jerry said that we should try. We should give the original a try. It's mm. an Irish fairy and folk tale by W. B. Yeats, and so I, I, I would like to read that. I haven't had a chance to yet. Andy Carlson on Twitter said, 
I always imagine based off a Yates poem. Yeah, like what? Well, that whole story. I think the the corpse. Yeah. Oh yeah, Aubrey's got that. uh, That hole pulled up. Yeah. I think it looks fine. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, Andy Carlson on Twitter. He said that he always imagined it as a single, pure whistled note. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe it was somebody singing, but he just imagines it it as a a whistle. So I like that too. On the Baba Yaga. Jerry was telling us that there is a one panel where Mike drew the left hand of Doom instead of the right hand oh, of Doom. Right. I didn't catch this. So it's at the very end after he shoots her and he's lying upside down. The the right hand of Doom is on the wrong side. The left hand of Doom. Yeah. That's great. Maybe he was just in a mirror and we couldn't uh, yeah. see the rest you know, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. I, I, I forgot what. <laughs> the, old, the old mirror Rooney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That old chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot uh, what story we were talking about where you were talking about how you don't see Hellboy's palm a lot. Oh, yeah. So Mark Tweedell, he was letting us know on Twitter, it's actually the palm of the right hand of doom oh, that we don't see a lot. Oh, I see. Okay. On the character sheet, it I has a little note. that, yeah. It has a little note that it says it's mostly in shadow right. or you don't really get to see I it. I wasn't entirely even sure where I saw that yeah. in anyway, so I'm really glad. You probably glad. saw it on that Art of I'm, Hellboy I'm glad book. to hear some clarification he on that. He posted a picture of that. My, but, uh, I totally misremembered that. Thank you for that. On A Christmas Underground, we were wondering what were the flowers around the old lady's bed. And Jerry said that they are garlic flowers as hung by Van Helsing mm. in the book Dracula. You were right. They so are that's garlic. Another, that's another Dracula nice. reference. Man, I'm, I'm over to his. Yeah. not looking good. <laughs> we talked about being human last week. Church of Sagan on Instagram. I like that username. Oh, yeah. He said that he thinks Corbin style works so well with the Mignola verse. And he is really excited about another uh, a Corbin mm. Mignola combination that we're going to be having coming up. Also, Drew Campbell said on Facebook, if anyone is unfamiliar with Richard Corbin's work beyond the Mignolaverse, it is so worth checking out. He is a longtime master of horror comics and one of his favorites. And I have Mignola to thank for getting me to really pay attention to his work. A good place to start would be his recent anthology series for Dark Horse, Shadows on the Grave. Highly recommended. So thank you for that recommendation, Drew. We also talked about Conqueror Worm. One of the tributes in the beginning of Conquer Worm was to the pulp hero, uh, the spider. And Jerry was letting us know that the spider also branded his emblem into the foreheads of the baddies. So that's maybe where that idea came from. Also, an early 80s Marvel UK character called Night Raven used to do the same. Do you know that character? Not familiar with it. (laughs) Night Raven. Um, uh, Jerry also let us know that Lara Karnstein could be a nod to Carmilla Karnstein from Jay Sheridan's La Falle's Carmilla, one of Mike's favorite authors. So I kind of looked this book up. It's uh, one of the earliest vampire stories, even predating Dracula by like 20-something years. Cool. So that's pretty cool. He also thinks that Ernst Oming is a nod to Mignola friend and collaborator Michael Avon Oming, which I think I you, thought I, I think, I thought I think I you did say that. something about that because, yeah, I love Oming. Drew Campbell said that Conqueror Worm was the first Hellboy story he read as as it was actually coming out, issue by issue, and it's definitely one of his favorites. I love all the eras of Mike's work and of Hellboy, but this one, to me, feels like a nice sweet spot in the transition from his earlier style to his later style, both in art and writing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, a, that's some good feedback on that story. It's got a very classic, you know, team Hellboy feel with uh, to it, um, transitioning to his more solo tales. Our Facebook pal, Case Lajerwai, he said, Cool to hear back, relive how Conqueror Worm stands out for resolving much of both past and future storytelling to it by conveying how partly because of Roger's predicament 
Hellboy acts out to become and hate the whole uh, Destiny-related uh, interest in him once and for all, mm-hmm. and also quitting the Bureau once and, once and for all. Right. He also said, he says, plus I love Miss Danielle's talk on how Mr. Mike, to her, seems succinct in both writing and speaking. My experience or sentiments exactly. So how he always uh-huh. just kind of says, yeah. there you go, but it's also how he writes Hellboy. Right. I do enjoy that. Such a neat, uh, he also said, such a neat sharing of, a, of details to observe by the reader, pointing out all the little details in Conqueror Worm. He said, if I ever encounter a dead classic heavyweight author boasting about themselves, I'll simply go, Psh, you ain't no Mignola buster. <laughs> um, and I really like that. I, I really do. That's one of the, my whole reasons for starting this podcast. I think that Mignola is just one of the greatest, and I just feel like all the little details and all, the, all those things are so satisfying. They really pay off in a gratifying way. We've got a lot of feedback on Facebook and Twitter asking about how we're going to proceed with the show now that the series has split. So now that Hellboy has quit the Bureau, the book with the Bureau still goes on. So we are going to be talking about that. We're going to do a couple more Hellboy short stories, and then we're going to dig into BPRD. People are asking if we're going to do Hellboy Jr. or the illustrated novels such as Bones of Giants. Um, I don't know. You know, I had I was kind of just going by the multiversity uh, Hellboy chronology reading order that they have on their website. You know, I think Hellboy Jr. is in there. We'll probably hit that whenever. I'm kind of taking a little bit from both the library editions and the omnibus versions, but we're kind of just going to follow that as a guide for now. But let us know if you have any suggestions. If a ton of people say, you guys need to do Bones of Giants, we'll do it. Okay. Whoever. We could raise, you know, money for a charity or something. Who and We raise, you know, whoever has the most whatever raffle tickets or whatever the fuck i don't know <laughs> something we can definitely something do that. Like that on that note do you want to talk about the bprd news group on facebook oh yeah the big old fucking thank you to kevin fucking alford <laughs> he runs bprd news network facebook page and he's a stand-up fucking guy no he's he's had some kind words for us and we appreciate them thanks man very cool cheers Yes, and so we'll be we'll be sharing our stuff on there. If you're on Facebook, check that page out. It's pretty cool. We've got a lot of updates on there on all the new upcoming BPRD news. All right, I think we're ready to dig in. Okay. Any, any other things before we move on? Let's start the show. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. First, we're going to talk about The Third Wish. The Third Wish was published as a two-part miniseries in July and August of 2002. Story and art are by Mignola and colors by Dave Stewart. I like this cover. Yeah, it's great. And I the... just and it looks like Mignola did this little dark horse icon up at the top left hand oh, corner. Oh, I don't know. It really looks like he drew that. Yeah, it does look like he drew that. I think he drew that, which That's is cool, cool, and I like. Let that. us know if he drew that. I actually don't know about that. I guarantee you, he drew Good that. Good eye there. Yeah. So recall that at the end of Conquer Worm, Hellboy said that he he told Kate that he was going to Africa. Conquer Worm. The library edition says for Hans Christian Andersen, King of Mermaids. So he's the author of The Little Mermaid. And William Hope Hodgson, Master of the Sargasso Sea. William Hope Hodgson was an English author. He produced a large body of work consisting of essays, short fiction, and novels spanning several overlapping genres of horror, fantastical fiction, and science fiction. Hodgson used his experiences at sea to lend authentic detail to his short horror stories many of which are set in the ocean, including his series of tales forming the Sargasso Sea stories. Where are you reading this from? I copied it from Wikipedia. All right. So um, those are the dedications. The story opens on Somewhere. Three sisters ask the Bogrush for favors, 
and the Bogru says you have to drive the nail into the head of her enemy to get the favors. I was going to say, I thought the uh, the three sisters, you know, reminded me of the um, three witches from um, Macbeth for some reason. Oh, <laughs> right okay. Right at the beginning. Yeah. Interesting. Or, you know, fairy tales, they do everything in threes. Yeah. You know, usually two. So this next panel here, we're, we're in Africa now. There's so much movement and mood. Yeah. I love that so much. It's... Yeah, so... Hellboy approaches a shaman-looking character who says the deal's done, now we'll see. And he addresses Hellboy, telling him that he's three days late. Hellboy asks if he's Mothomi, a famous witch doctor that died 200 years ago. That's a nice little twist there. I like that little ghost twist. Yeah, so this is probably a reference to Mahlomi, the great philosopher who lived from 1720 to 1815. He was known as Africa's greatest healer and philosopher. He was chief of the Bakona clan, Mahlomi developed his own philosophy that had aspects of both Eastern and Western religious beliefs, even though he had never traveled outside of Africa. So he had come across kind of all this stuff himself. He had a lot of famous quotes that he's known by. It is better to thrash the corn than to shape the spear. Peace is my sister. I will look after her, protect her, and cherish her. And his most famous quote is, a chief is a chief by the grace of his people. So Hellboy says that he thought that he died over 200 years ago. Mothlomi, the real one, died in 1815, which would have been around 200 years ago at the time of this. So that's a, that's a cool yeah. little reference there. He tells Hellboy that he no longer remembers his old life, but he's seen some weird shit, right? He talks about all these weird, you know, a cloud of red dust swallow all of his tribe and all this kind of stuff. And well, Hellboy... I like how he says that he's so old that he just doesn't remember parts of his life. It's right. not like he's just like, oh, I just don't remember. It's like, I'm just, li- I'm just, it's just so long. I can't right. remember everything. Yeah. He really has a lot of, um, he, he really carries a lot of weight in terms of uh, everything that he knows, how much knowledge he has. I like all his animal friends and the, the little, <laughs> the little word bubbles for all the little animals, the spider and the bat and all that. Yeah, so he, uh, Hellboy asks Mothlomi how he knew that he was coming. And he tells him that, that the spider told him. And so I wanted to talk about this myth a little bit. This is uh, the Anansi, mm-hmm. uh, who is an Aiken folklore character who is in the shape of the spider and is a spirit of all knowledge of stories. In the beginning, there were no stories in the world, and Nyami, the sky god, had all the stories. Anansi asked to buy them, and Naomi said, Anansi must bring him Onini the python, Osebo the leopard, and Umboro a hornet. And I think in Hellboy, in Mignola's, he's added a fairy in there too, which is not as in the... Well, there's probably different versions yeah, of this. Yeah, I mean, so this is Mignola's version. It has a fairy also. Well, I mean, uh, I'm saying that there's probably more versions of this in Africa. Sure, so sure. So, you know, this probably is not, there's not just one, you know... And I thought this was really interesting. Anansi tricked all those animals. So he captured all of them, but he did it by tricking them. So he told the python, he said, hey, I bet you're not longer than this stick. Come let me measure you. And then he, when the python got along the stick, he tied him on there to measure him. Tricks and then he just left him tied there. And now he had him. And then the leopard, he trapped the leopard in a hole. And he said, here, I'll throw my webs down and get you out. And then he just webbed him all up. And so he caught him like that. And then the hornet, I like this one, he said uh, he had an open gourd. And he said, hey, it's about to start raining. You should get in this gourd real quick so you don't get wet. So the hornet went in there. He just trapped him in there. That's, That's how he got him. 
hornet's men. Sounds like these guys weren't too bright. So, but, but I like we have a. Well, we no, have, I mean that's mean. They, he's doing <laughs> mean stuff to them. But so he he was able to to get all the stories, and I like this panel where it kind of alludes to that story. Uh, Mothlomi says that he talks to a spider and a bat, and they tell him all the cool stuff that's going on. Uh, in the forest, and the bat myth is pretty much spot on. It's a Kono myth, which is a series in Sierra Leone, Africa. Some little details about the myth that were a little different. Before the sky god gave the bat the basket of darkness, the world was never dark or cold, and the moon shone at night just like the sun does during the day. The bat was supposed to take all the darkness to the moon, and the moon was going to tell the bat what to do next with it, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, what was the moon going to yeah, tell him to do with it? Say? But the bat dropped it along the way. Animals came and opened it up, thinking that there was food in there. And then now he flies around all night, trying to collect the darkness. And so in the darkness, he sees all the secret things. And yeah, I like how he says Hellboy, right there where he comes on. I like the story about the haunted banana tree. For about three days, a ghost (laughs) dropped rocks and garbage on me. (laughs) There's always, in a lot of the the pages, there's just like three panels at the bottom that are awesome. We've seen it a couple times. And this is another example of that. So I'm going to go ahead and get this one out of the way. This is the Ken Yamkela, a Bantu lore. The Bantu peoples are speaker of the Bantu language, comprising of several hundred ethnic groups in sub-Saharan Africa, spread over a vast area from Central Africa across the African Great Lakes to Southern Africa. So the myth that I read was, uh, one day two boys were out for a walk when they came upon a beautifully tended banana tree with gorgeous uh, bananas all over it, and they were hungry and they ate all the bananas. Later that night, when they were tucked in their bed, they heard loud knocking and shaking on their hut. They opened their, their eyes and they saw a one-armed, one-legged ghost standing in the doorway. Um, it told them that they had no right to eat the bananas and that they would die. And this Ken Yamkela hurled stones and bones at the boys and at their walls. It chased after them. And according to the Bantu lore, it's a ghost of a dead child or a kind adult. And it kept the boys all up through the night, chasing them and throwing stuff at them. Finally, the villagers uh, gathered up a basket of food, rice, vegetables, and bananas and offered it to the Kim Yamkela. And so he said, don't let, her, don't let it ever happen again. And he left them alone. But then a couple weeks later, a woodcarver returned from a trip, and he heard about this this haunted banana tree, and he said, this is bullshit. I'm going to go and figure out what's going on. And so the Kim Yonkela returned and started throwing all this garbage and stones and all this stuff on him, and it never stopped. And the villagers had to move away <laughs> because it just never stopped throwing stuff at them. So, so I thought that was kind Man, of interesting. He needs to find more things to fill out his day. <laughs> it definitely seems like a child type thing yes. to do. <laughs> there we go with the um, haunted banana tree. I enjoyed the brief foray into some of these, you know, African myths. Of yeah. course, Africa is a huge continent with something like 54 countries, I think. So these myths probably come from varying regions. But yeah, yeah, they do. And I think it's so cool that Mignola, you know, when Hellboy is in Ireland, we got the Irish right, folklores. Right, yeah. When he's in England and now he's in Africa. So now we're getting all the African folklore. And they're like legit folklore, Super you know, cool. from that really originate from peoples in Africa, which I think is awesome. Mothomi tells Hellboy to rest and leaves his medicine to keep him safe. And so I guess the medicine is the staff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could possibly refer to his particular brand of magic. or I, right. I, I don't know. I, I and I like... I don't um, want to talk out of class. I like the fire. 
Yeah. Um, the, the the little fire uh, looks really cool. It's just like, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like blowing in the wind. Hellboy has a dream. The lions talk to him. And this kind of reminded me a little bit of the Midnight Circus, right? Sure. There was yeah. a kind of like a lion that was also a demon. The lions tell Hellboy to leave Africa and never come back. And just as they are about to attack him, Hellboy hears the little ding-ding of Mahlomi's bell. And he sees a vision of Mahlomi. And he kind of sees him... His face is the bell. Right? Sure, yeah, yeah. It's like a mask. And somehow, I guess, it it uh, distracts the lions. And then Hellboy just wakes up. Now he's awake. And Mothlomi tells Hellboy that the ocean is calling him. And I love this where he's like, come again? And he's like, yes, it is strange. You should come and hear it for yourself. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, hey, wake up now. The ocean's calling you. He's like, All what? Right, sure. <laughs> Mothlomi tells him... You are standing at the very crossroads of your life, and all your roads lead to strange places. Any advice? Take this. And he gives him the little bell. And I love this panel, uh, the last one, where Hellboy kind of leans down to listen. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'll be damned. And, and he can, he, he can, he can hear the... calling him. He, yeah. I always thought it was great. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A huge wave then breaks over Hellboy and Mothlomi, washing Hellboy away. And he drifts with with the bell. And these are just some beautiful panels. A lot of this is very minimal dialogue. The mermaids come up and they're surrounding him and all this stuff. Yeah. And so the ocean calling to him and then for it being the mermaids, that has to do with like siren songs and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Sailors, sailors and all that sort of thing. So I, I really like that. And as Hellboy is fighting them, he's got the bell in his hand. And he's able to do pretty good. He's pretty effective with the bell. And I kind of think he's kind of set up a little bit. Because Mathlomi, in the very beginning, he was like, the deal is done. Now we'll see. So he kind of, I think he knew that something was up with these mermaids were going to come get him. So he set Hellboy up to have this bell in advance, kind of giving him a little bit of an advantage. Right. Yeah. And then he's, they do the, this, they hammer a nail into him well, yeah, well, I was going to point out, it looks like they're coming back to his statue, like right there. I mean, yeah. his, the top of his staff right there. Yeah. While he's well, those are like little mood shots, right? Yeah. As he's, um, I like that. Oh, yeah, because it's flashing back and forth between. And this is another thing I thought was really great is, you know, Hellboy's in the water thrashing around with the mermaids. They're fighting, but it just is cutting back and forth to Mothlomi just standing there with his staff still on the beach. It's kind of going back and forth between those two shots. And first, first Mothlomi's there, and then he's not. Then it's just the staff. So he's kind of like this otherworldly kind of character as well. And Hellboy's doing pretty good. And they do eventually hammer it, but because a fucking shark pops out of <laughs> scares the shit out of him, that's what makes him drop the bell. And then the mermaids take him down pretty quickly. And they hammer that nail, the nail that the Bogrush gave them in that first scene, into his horn stub and one little detail i really like is the the hammer is a hexagonal shaped um i really like that in turn versus like a traditional hammer i just really like the look and the feel of that kind of hammer just a little bit of lore Yeah, yeah yeah it seems like very ancient I always like when we get some interesting onomatopoeias. Here's Brang as yeah. they smash the nail into Hellboy's uh, horn stub. He yeah. wakes up and he's, you know, immediately, this is, you know, this is bad. Yeah, so he wakes up in the Bogrush's lair. And w- one thing I, I notice in all these scenes with her lair is there's kind of like a pink, pinkish purple hue. Mm-hmm, right? like a coral. Yeah, I was noticing that too. Probably. Yeah, I like that. 
the Bogrush knows of Hellboy and knows his significance. She tells him that he can never leave as long as the nail is in his head. And additionally, the chains are bound by a werewolf that Hellboy fought. They reference Emile Bertrand. I know that there was an Emile Bertrand who was a French mineralogist who lived in the 1800s. Bertrandite was named after him as well as the Bertrand lens, which is used in a phase telescope. All right. So I don't know if the phase telescope, like moon phase, I don't know if maybe there's a a werewolf reference there. I don't really know if if that's who he's trying to reference there or not. I like the sigil on the nail. Yeah, yeah, that looks really cool. And before we started recording, I was showing off. I've got my Bogrush nail from Skeleton Crew. Yeah, Yeah. I really like how how they do those replicas. It looks looks pretty badass. Yeah, I like it. But in talking about Emil Bertrand, he says he had a run in a few years ago and the idiot fell off a cliff. This (laughs) made me think of. Like a lot of Hellboy's adventures are like something just happens and he gets a winning, you know, and so it makes me think like in this tale, I don't know if we've ever, if we see it down the line, but I just imagine like they were fighting or something and this dude just fell. He just fell off the cliff and well, yeah, <laughs> slipped on something. Or That is hilarious. And I like to think that that's what the <laughs> angle is here. And I like this idea of using the bones of someone who hates you to yeah. like bind you forever that's pretty great and there's a cool werewolf ghost image that pops up where it's all in red and he just says hellboy the totally. the, the the ghost of the wolf that's uh that's the ghost that's binding him with those bone chains you know i dig oh. a good werewolf ghost yeah i also like how it shows like you know the body then the bones and the close-up of the bones and the oh, chains. Yeah. like you can kind of see like a transition sure. into the chains it's pretty slick. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, and Here come the mermaids. The mermaids come to get their wishes granted. Let's talk a little bit about this scene. What What, what did you guys think about this? Oh, um, we get a, we get some great. Uh, be careful what you wish for stuff here. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. You never ever ever no wishes don't. Come do on, it. don't do it. Not even once. So the the first mermaid she asks for her lover to be to be reunited with her lover, and so he comes back and he's a fucking zombie. And the first thing he does is bite her in the neck and sure, kill her. Sure, why not? And she's like, "There you go. You know, now you're reunited with your love. And uh, I like good how, luck with all that." I like how the youngest daughter's like, "Okay, well this seems bad, so maybe we should watch out." Right. And then, like, you see, yeah, the second one goes, uh, "I'm not such a fool. To her, sure. I'm not such a fool." I want to be able to breathe air and have yeah. legs. And she's like, okay, here you go. Here's a uh, legs and you can now you can breathe air at the bottom of the ocean. And there's this funny little panel. Oh, I love that panel, yeah. Where Hellboy's <laughs> like, how is it that I'm breathing air? And yeah. this little fish is like, the nail. Love the very brief exposition here from this little fish. <laughs> yeah. There's even a note, there's a note later on um, in this edition that I'm reading where Mignola is talking about it. And he's saying... Yeah, and I, I would have to figure out some sort of way for to figure out how Hellboy's breathing underwater, some sort of elaborate magic thing. Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. It's just this fish is like, yeah, it's, that's it's the, nail. the nail. Sure. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, and then the last one, she is scared. She's just seen both of her sisters uh, get fucking killed by their wishes, so... Get outsmarted uh, by their wishes. Yeah, they, true. Had they worded them correctly. See, no, no. Everyone <laughs> always thinks if you fucking word a wish correctly, <laughs> there's no way to. If a fucking genie has it in for you and wants you dead 
or tortured or whatever, they're going to find a way to be like, oh, did you want candy? What if the candy was made of boogers? Like, it's always going to be some <laughs> fucked up shit. You can't, see, see, you can't the... specify, I want candy. It can't be made out of boogers, <laughs> acid. No, you can't specify everything in the world that it can't be. You just have to be like, oh, please don't do anything bad to me. Uh. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it from, like, a lawyer's perspective writing up a contract. Oh, sure. Saying something like, you know, okay, so here are the parameters. This is what I want. I do not want anything outside of these parameters. Oh. Genie shall and not hear to forth. And it comes out with like mean a, spells like a 300 page contract. Sure. <laughs> right. Absolutely. No, that's great. I would love to see a, that bit. It, it, but it would be the type <laughs> of it, it would be the type of thing where like uh that Twilight Zone episode where he just wants to read yeah, and then absolutely. like his gla- all like maybe the lawyer you do your lawyer contract and you get everything that you want and then it's like the world blows up or something <laughs> or there's like nuclear war or something and then yeah. Jimmy's like I'll get you somehow. You, to, you would have to, yeah, you would have to really get a good a good lawyer to look at that. I would love to see the magic wish-granting lawyer. I would love to see that. If you're a lawyer that specializes in magic wishes, please contact us. Yeah, Let go us ahead. Know. Let us know what your parameters are. For sure. <laughs> so Hellboy starts to get pretty pissed at the this Bogrouche at her evil twist with all the other mermaids. And I think this is kind of interesting because they captured him. You know, but he still feels some sympathy, especially for this last one. He tells the Bogrush to leave her alone. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. And he he's recognizing a fucked up situation when he sees it. He's like, you know, these they they might even be beholden to this Bogrush. Yeah, well, he I guess he's so. putting it together that maybe yeah. they were acting on, you know, they, they, they did it for these other reasons. And, sure. Yeah. And he's still, yeah, he's still wanting to help her out. And she even starts to, she has, seems like she has a, good head on her shoulders you know other than this whole wanting to get the spear thing yeah out. but what you know she looks back at hellboy they share a moment and it's very touching yeah well before that right before that happens uh hellboy when he speaks out to leave her alone the oh, right. bakrus punches him into right. this octopus pit and i just love this page i think this is uh one of the best pages there's just a lot of motion and i love hellboy being dragged down I love this little fish that says snap as it catches another little fish. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I just like, I like the fish eating a fish. It's yeah. just life <laughs> in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. With so, Hellboy and a mermaid. Yeah. yeah. So he's getting drugged down there, and the Bogrush tells him, not yet, uh, not that kind of death for you, and kind of leaves him to the side. And then she talks to the last daughter about her wish. The third sister asks the Bogrush for her father's broken spear to return to his shrine. The Bogrush gives the spear tip, and as the mermaid leaves, there is that little moment yeah. that you were talking about. And I love that little moment. And again, like, talked about this so many times, but it's not very detailed. You can't really even see her face, but the way her body is poised and the way her head is turned. Oh, yeah, it's so it, natural. It makes you feel like there is sympathy there. There is yeah, a moment there, yeah. even though you don't really get to see it. There is a there is another panel further down where they focus in, and you can see that she does have a concerned look on her face. Well, those little establishing shots like it's just it's like you said it's very good uh effective storytelling yeah yeah, yeah it really is i like that so and the the, the bogrush over here is ready to f- fuck hellboy up pretty bad and you know it's he's like well why and she's like oh there's something about the salvation of the world he just goes shut up <laughs> <laughs> yes any particular reason nothing less than the salvation of the world shut, shut up. up shut up and uh I just got to talk about Great this retort. really quick. Uh, I just love that panel 
I've talked about this before. There's a Twitter that I follow called Random Hellboy. Yeah. And they just post random. And the other day like they posted. Context, they just Hellboy. post. They just posted that one panel. Shut up. And it just has. It was really good. Um, I really like that. That that's a good. If you're not following that Twitter, you need to check it out. It's really funny. Uh, it's. I mean, it, but they also show really cool stuff too. Well, possibly my favorite out of context Hellboy thing we're gonna see later in the episode, but that's <laughs> for later. Okay. Issue two of the Third Wish. We are back in the somewhere, and we see the shrine to the mermaid's father, and there's some beautiful work here. Um, it kind of reminds me when we saw Von Klemp's overgrown stuff in Brazil. You kind of get the sense that this stuff is really underwater. It's really covered with, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. What would stuff be covered with underwater? Well, the- <laughs> Barnacles there and you go. Yeah. fish and coral and sea life. Yeah, all kinds yeah. of, like, yeah. sea grasses. And there's like a little statue of the father mermaid uh, in the corner. I really well, it like wouldn't that. be a mermaid. Oh, a merman, I guess. Merfather. Merfather. <laughs> Thank you for the, for that. <laughs> she returns the spear to his shrine, um, but here's where we get her evil twist. Her father appears to her as a ghost, and he tells her that his honor is determined by the deeds of his children. I don't know if it's an evil twist. It's just sort of like how things work, I guess, in yeah. the little afterlife. Well, I, I, I kind of felt like she's thinking this is going to honor her no, father. Yeah, she's trying and to, he's like, no, now sure. you've consigned me to burn in hell. I'm like, right. holy shit. It's a little dark. <laughs> it's a little dark. But I don't know if that's something that the Bogdrush even intended. I think that she really? did know that. Okay. I think that she knew that by getting her to capture Hellboy. Oh, wow. um, you know, and the father is even like, look, he, you, you captured him and he was still alive right. and you left him there. You know, yeah. so he's like, now I'm going to burn in hell. Thanks. And I just like this whole scene. I, I like how it's colored. It's got like a different tint to it. <clears throat> this scene where she's talking to, to her father. Yeah. We cut back to the cave of the Bog Rouge, and she tells Hellboy that he is uh, the sentence of ruin passed on from the beginning. And by setting herself against him, she is defying the secret workings of the universe. Okay. <laughs> and Hellboy tries to defend himself. He says, look, you know, I've been fighting monsters, and that makes me the good guy, and you're the monster. Um, but the Bagrush tells him that she sees further than all the other witches, and she has a nightmare. Yeah. I really like the idea that there are countries under the ocean, and that in these countries are loads of witches. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. That's good to think about. And um, It's comforting. She says that she sees a nightmare, and we see a similar vision to the one we saw with in the right hand of doom. Horrific just... visions of the apocalypse. Yes. Classic. <laughs> um, nom, nom, nom. I love so, it. It's like a loaf of sweet Hawaiian bread. I'll eat it all. <laughs> so so lo- it's interesting also that it's her. It's interesting you also see the severed right hand of doom again. Yes, just like in the right hand of doom short story. Thank you. Yeah. And she sees that all the earth will be laid to waste. Um, because of Hellboy. Hellboy, uh, I like he points out this irony. He says, so you had a dream that when I die, the whole world gets destroyed and you're going to prevent that by killing me? He's like, you're a genius. <laughs> but she yeah. talks about she's going to do more than just kill him. She will unmake Hellboy. Sending, it's a very dark yeah, issue. Sending pieces of him to all her witch pals all over the globe. She's going to give the Baba Yaga his eye to pay that yeah, debt. Yeah, some cool witch references here. Yeah, well, Baba I like Yaga. that. Uh, I like that he owes her a debt. It's a specific, yeah. Yeah, like he, Chilling. like it's it, it's a debt. He didn't just shoot out her eye. Yeah. Now he owes her something. You don't want to. You don't want to owe that. The Bogrush says that she's going to send the empty skin to Hecate. 
I love that the Bagrush, I'm sorry I keep interrupting you, but no, I love go that ahead. she's Please got interrupt. some kind of local scene rivalry with Hecate. Right, she refers to her as the iron <laughs> the bitch. So-called, the so-called queen of witches. So petty. I yeah. love it. I love it. She's so salty. The Bagrush herself will eat his heart and drink his blood, and she will feed the right hand of doom to the oldest living whale who will disappear to the pit of Ur when he dies. Pit of Ur, sure. Yeah, so Ur is an important Sumerian city-state in ancient Mesopotamia, and the ziggurat of Ur is this giant stone structure in Iraq that's a leftover from that uh, Sumerian city-state. Hellboy wants to get it over with, but the Bagru says she needs to make final preparations before she can do all this. I wonder what those are. Like, she's got to decide, okay. she got to go to the ziggurat. Well, she's got to decide, like, she's like, okay, well, who's going to get this piece of Hellboy? Like, she's got to rank all her witch pals and decide, like, okay, you'll get... She's probably got a little journal. She keeps it all in. It's quite a job. promised his left toe to... (laughs) (laughs) That would be be tedious. Uh, Could you hire someone, like, with the wishes lawyer? Is there someone who's, like... Can, can the same one who does the magic uh, lawyer divide yeah. up by piecemeal, like a, almost like a divorce proceeding. Yeah. All right, so you know we've agreed that half of this toenail is going over here. Yeah, for sure. And remember, I get the tail. Yeah. <laughs> so Hellboy just wants to get it over with, and he challenges her to a fight, and she just kind of leaves him there. And I feel like in this last little panel where he just says, "Damn," I feel like he's genuinely concerned. Like, he's like, oh, shit, this is going to happen. You know what I mean? He's bound there. He can't go anywhere. She has this pretty well thought out plan, you know, of what she's going to do to him. So I think he's just kind of like, shit, you know, what's going to happen? In this last panel, we see the whale and we hear the little ding ding of Mohlomi's bell, which I think is really cute. Like the whale. I think that it's inside the whale, right? Yeah. Which, like, do what kind of whale is this? Here. The oldest living whale. I don't know. I guess it's a blue it whale. It looks like a humpback. I was gonna whale? say it looks like a humpback whale. Like oh, humpback whale. Okay. Don't they have those little filtery things instead of teeth? Mm. And it filters the water in, and only little things get through, and all the big things don't get through. Why would it eat a bell? Well, maybe it's just stuck in the filtered teeth thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if it was Good in the middle, no, if it was in his belly, we probably wouldn't hear the ding. True. Probably wouldn't notice it. He's so big. This is a really cool scene. We return to the elsewhere with the Doina She. Oh, this is great, yeah. So we talked about these people. We've seen them in the corpse, and we've seen them whenever we flash to the elsewhere. The the Doina She are the people of the mounds. And um, we see a statue of Hellboy. And the king, we, we've recognized that this guy is, in the, is the king now. And he says that Hellboy is fairly caught, and he cannot save him at this point. So we kind of get the sense that they're on Hellboy's side. He prevented uh, the Doinashi from having the baby, Alice Monahan, but they also saw how he broke off his horns and waked the devil. So they're kind of on his side a little bit. Well, they're waiting like. to see what's going on with him. And a pig speaks up, and the pig says, "Why would they save him?" And the king referred is referred to here as Dagda. So I think this is the first time that we get his his full title. So this is King Dagda of the Doinashi. So now we know that piece of information. This little bird dropping some knowledge on him. And yeah, the animals all talk about how a new world will rise out of the end that Hellboy will bring about. So they want to save the hand. And there's all... The, uh, I love the little bird in there. The chicken is also saying save the hand. There's a really cool... In the sketchbook, there's just animal studies of oh, Mignola yeah. just drawing all the different animals. I, uh, those are really worth checking out if you really have access fantastic. to those. Yeah. This scene is so extremely creepy. So the, the pig says that 
the new world is not for them. You know, they're all saying, save the hand, it's going to bring about a new world. And the pig says, they've already been driven out of the light of day, and they're going to be even less. And the, the pig says that with Hellboy being gone, they can return to Earth. So why do they want to save him? They should just let him go. One of the Doinashi asks for Edward Gray's opinion and turns towards the hooded figure that we've seen in the Elsewhere a couple of times as well. Recall we heard of a Sir Edward Grey who lived as a protector to the Queen in the 19th century, and he was a 19th century paranormal investigator. He was the first one to refer to Jurescu as a vampire in Wake the Devil. So somehow this character has ended up here with the Doinashi, and he's this hooded character that sure. we've been seeing all this time. Mm-hmm. So that gives us... Um, I think that's really interesting. Edward Gray says that Hellboy's story is being rewritten, and he left his path years ago. Edward Gray also addresses Gragok, the Doinashi from the corpse, and he has a personal grudge with Hellboy. This is that same one that he burned with iron, Mm -hmm. right, in the corpse? Yep. Gragok tells how he's trapped in the pig body because of Hellboy. Recall that he stole a key, right? Gragok stole a key from the king to let loose Grom the war pig... And then the war pig ate Gragosh's elf body. So it's really his fault. You know what I mean? Like, he's the one who stole the key and let loose this monster that ate him. And I guess maybe when Hellboy beat the war pig, maybe Grom died, leaving only Gragosh left in the body. But it's totally his fault that he's in there. <laughs> of course it's his fault, but he doesn't see it that way. And he's still pissed about being burned with iron. He swears revenge and punches the Hellboy statue that we're observing, which knocks Hellboy back in the real world. Um, recall in my research on the Doinashi on the last episode, it was uh, said that they lived in a parallel universe. Yeah, parallel So universe. we kind of get a sense of that here. I really like that, that you see as he punches Hellboy in the elsewhere, it affects Hellboy in the real world. It kind of reminds, reminds me of Clash of the Titans. Do you yeah. remember the old movie Clash of the Titans? The real old one? I loved Clash of the Titans. Man, I used to love that movie. But anyway, Zeus was all watching them from like this little stadium and they were all like chess pieces and there was one part where Perseus was like falling down but then he like picks him up and then in the next scene he's like he's like standing again or whatever. Or also that one scene where they um, turn that one guy into the monster with the tail. Calabas. Yeah. Anyway, that's what it kind of reminded me of. As Hellboy yells at the Bogaroosh to come and get the show on the road, the surviving mermaid returns with the spear given to her by the Bogaroosh, and she's able to break the bone chains with them. And I like how uh, Emil Bertrand, he says, curse you, Hellboy, as the, <laughs> as the chains are, 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 are coming across. Well, first he says, help me, grandmother, yeah. help, help. I thought that was pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah she does not like this at all. She's pretty Yeah, so she says it's a curse on them both because now the mermaid has broken her agreement. Hellboy punches the Bogarouche and she goes down pretty easy. The mermaid tells him to just leave and she kind of gestures him away. She has like some power and she's able to like kind of push Hellboy away a little bit. Yeah, but we just see the Bogarouche just kind of going down. She she doesn't really fight back after Hellboy hits her. Um, there's a loud boom and we reveal that the Bogarouche still lives and she has the mermaid. The mermaid tells Hellboy to just go and the Bogarouche summons her dead sisters to kill her. And she's like, not like this, please, not like this. And so that's pretty fucked up, Very I thought. Dark. Yeah. And the Bogrush also reminds Hellboy that he can't leave as long as the nail's in his head and only she can remove it. But the ghost of the mermaid's father, he kind of shows up. It's kind of like the statue form of him that we saw at his shrine. And he tells Hellboy that this is a lie and that he can take out the nail. But the mermaid must endure her punishment. 
So he's just like he doesn't like that. Yeah, Hellboy says, "Screw that." that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So he pushes over the giant pillar, crushing the Bog Rouge, trapping her down there, and he uses the spear tip to go after the mermaid sisters. And I love this cut to the statue of the merman or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. he gets this octopus monster. Yeah, and he goes down into the pit. And I love these action shots here. I mean, they're just awesome. These are just really good images. I just love all the tentacles and how we're just chopping up all these. I love when we get to the treasure chamber of the Bogrush itself. That's always just a really creepy reveal when you go into these little places that Mignola invents. I love that. Yeah, so in the octopus pit, Hellboy finds bones and little jars, and this place is the treasure chamber of the Bog Rouge, where she draws all of her power from the souls of drowned sailors, which Hellboy refers to as Davy Jones' locker. The origins of the name of Davy Jones, the sailor's devil, are unclear, with 19th century dictionary tracing Davy Jones to the ghost of Jonah. Other explanations of this nautical superstition have been put forth, including an incompetent sailor or a pub owner who kidnaps sailors. Uh, the, oh, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is ridiculous, is that Clutch song. Yeah. Where there's this like backwards part where he goes, bones, bones, dry, dry bones down in the locker of Davy Jones. Yes. That's yes. the first thing that comes That's to mind. That's the backward masking yeah. on Big News Part 1 Big for news part one. any Clutch fans that are out there. The first thing that comes to mind is like old 80s cartoons where you hear him in a pirate voice. Ah, you'd be sleeping with Davy Jones. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, it's a common saying. Hellboy tries to break them open, but she says, uh, the mermaid says that they will never open, not so long as the Bogrush lives. And so there's this really quick panel at the bottom where kind of the Bogrush looks at Hellboy's hand with the spear. And then in the next panel, we just see boom and... You know, Hellboy's just stabbing her. So we reveal really quickly that he says, I, I didn't do that. Maybe it was a happy accident. So Hellboy's kind of, he's accustomed to these things. But he's like, she kind of just threw herself onto the blade. And the mermaid says that she finally realized she could never beat you. And therefore, she could not alter her vision of the future. And she didn't want to live. So that's pretty messed up, too. Like, the Bogrush is yeah. like, look, he's gotten out of the chains. I'm fucked. And she's just like... Fuck yeah. it, you know what I mean? Just throws yeah. herself on the spear just to kill herself because she's like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to see this stuff go down. I would. Is that is that messed up? Yeah, I well, see that. you're like, um, you're. We talked about this with Conqueror yeah. Worm, but Von Klempt he left his his daughter Inger Von Kl- or his pumped. granddaughter to, with the mask so that way she could still kind of see yeah. shit when it was going down. <laughs> I think I would want to see it, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I want to see, like, death and destruction. No, but, no, no, uh, no, no. If it's already going to happen. But if it's already happening. Although, <laughs> I will say, I'm a very much a run towards the Flash kind of a person. Because the aftermath of that is, like, I don't know if I would want to do anything that it would take to survive. I would end up being lunch, and I don't want to see that. So right. that's that's different. I th- I'm learning a lot about both if it, Look, right if now. it's a magical <laughs> apocalypse, it will look cool. If it's an actual apocalypse, it will not be cool. Ah, is okay. where I draw that line. Uh, thanks for the clarification. There, You're welcome. I think I would try to hold out as long as I can, but um, I'd probably make it like about 20, no, 30 I minutes. No, I would not, yeah. <laughs> Once the Bogrush is dead, one of these jars starts to open. And I think you wanted to talk about this a oh, little bit, right? Oh, it's just so beautiful. I can't describe how beautiful I think this is. The depiction of the souls escaping from the jars, it's really very moving. The w- the wing emerging, that soft 
Little wing. I really like that. It, yeah, it, how it's just the wing coming up in that first little panel. They then look you turn as though the they're page. Yeah, yeah. And you turn the page exactly. It's it's such good timing, and it's all this movement all of a sudden, and they look like they're glowing. It's really sweet and surprising moment in the middle of this very dark story. It's gorgeous and emotional and unique, and it it teed me up for these last few panels. Yeah, honestly, where she's saying she's going to be <clears throat> waiting alone in the dark for centuries, and her father tells her you know not alone and she yeah. says father will you stay with me he says always even till the end of time that really got me i got kind of choked up and mignola crafts more emotion in two issues than some stories do in their entire runs it's remarkable yeah and i really that's what i got from these she, she's a very here. sympathetic character she says um when she sees the bird she says beautiful when i die if i ever die all i will be is foam on a wave yeah and she tells Hellboy that she has she to stay there now. Anything. She's the Bogrush now. Yeah. yeah, there must always be one. And so she said she's never going to take the souls of drowned sailors or anything like that. So she's just going to be kind of powerless down there. She uses her last bit of power to remove the nail. To remove the nail, yeah. And I like the little squee yeah. on a monopoeia as she pulls that nail out. That is out. the sound it would make. Probably. That's a, coming out yeah. of bone? Yeah. Well, it's not bone. I think his horns are probably made of what's a, a goat's horns are made of. Oh, okay. Isn't that the Which same is, um, thing like as nails. your fingernails? fingernails ah, yeah. interesting. I'm learning stuff. And Hellboy... the same thing as hair. Basically, yeah. it's like super um, hard hair. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We keep talking no, no, about hair fine. and fingernails. Please continue. <laughs> you're fine. Please continue. <laughs> and yes, as as the mermaid is having this moment with their ghost of her father, that that's, that's a really beautiful ending, and Hellboy just kind of drifts up away. Um, and he just drifts off. And we see the whale again with the ding ding, and it just says the end. And um, that's a really great story. I actually, when those skeleton crew replicas started coming out, I was like, if they ever have Mohlomi's Bell, that's the only one that I really want. And so I have that one. I actually want to grab it. They did a fantastic uh, job. It looks like a movie quality prop. Yeah. Oh, man, that was kind of cool. It's a great little sound effect. I also like the little uh, kind of reference to uh, Little Mermaid there at the end when she says she'll turn into sea foam because that's what happened in the original Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, thank you. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I remember. I thought that that was a beautiful little phrase, but I didn't know it had come from that. uh, I, um, when The Little Mermaid came out in Disney's in 1988, I remember watching on TV the Hans Christian Andersen version, and it was really sad and depressing because at the end she dies grim, yeah. she, wow she dies and turns into seafoam there's no singing there's no happy crabs <laughs> wow that's a good bit of trivia some trivia that i have mignola was uh said he was going to do a bunch of short stories about africa but it just, but he couldn't find anything that clicked he had all those stories about the spider right and about these other things but he found a way to use them in an old Submariner story with a mermaid that he had plotted way back and he never did anything wow. with, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and so he said that he was living in New York right w- right around the time that 9-11 happened when he was writing this. And so the ghost dad and the jars with the souls were all things that he added afterwards. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. The Third Wish, this is one of my favorite stories. Yeah. And... Um, I wanted to ask you about this a little bit, Danielle. You had read it previously. Yeah. And then now you've read it in the context of everything that's been going sure. on. Sure. Well, there's what, there's a lot of little stories that I've read here and there. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll read maybe a little story or part of a story. <clears throat> and I, it's got so much weight to it. Not that it didn't before, but it's right. got just so many more dimensions 
there and especially with this story that's coming up now i um yeah reading it sandwiched between what uh, conquer worm and then now the island yeah it's it's totally different it's not that i didn't have the emotional impact because of course you could just read this and be like wow this is fantastic where do we get more of this and that's basically what happened with me but i there is something about going back and and it's like rewatching it's like rewatching um what is it that movie fking Mulholland Drive or whatever oh yeah yeah you always are gonna notice something new that you didn't recognize before and so that's the thing about this Mignola verse here is that there's always gonna be a new connection for you to make and that's what's really exciting about being in this book club and and being able to talk about it with y'all and I love it everything yeah one other thing I wanted to talk about really quick about these replicas it's so nerdy but on the Bogrush nail um, the replica it says description magic nail hammered into Hellboy's head by mermaids and it says collected <laughs> it says collected by Hellboy since right. I guess like it was but one thing I thought was cute is it has a sign out log and it was signed out and returned by Abe Sapien interesting so he checked it out to look at it wow. um, which I thought was interesting and Aww. then the one for Mothlomi's bell it says description bronze bell given to Hellboy for protection and then this one's check, been checked out by Abe Sapien and Kate Corrigan oh, on that box, which I thought was was, was kind of neat. Oh, I like those. Sweet. Yeah. I, I wonder if Mignola has anything to do with like who checked him out or cool. how does that work or somebody just pitches it to him maybe or something. It even has little check in and check out dates on it. I like all those little details. Yeah, it's super rad. All right. Anyway, we're going to talk about the island now. The Island was published as a two-part miniseries from June to July of 2005. So I just want to give you a little bit of perspective. Back in my day, right, (laughs) we had to wait. We had to wait almost three years for this. So Hellboy was drifting out in the middle of the sea, and we didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. So this was a highly anticipated read for me. We open on Hellboy and Kate's conversation again, right? It's a three-year cliffhanger. Yeah. Where are you going, Africa, and after that, wherever the wind blows. It starts off really washed out, which sets the mood very well. I think it absolutely... Thank you for... Yes, I was going to mention that. Masterful colors, as always. Um, He wakes up, and he's just drifting, and he washes up on this deserted island, and the imagery is just beautiful on these first couple pages. I like this, uh, where he's got all the starfish all over him, and he just says, crap. (laughs) Um, He's just looking out at all these uh, beached ships... We see a light on a beach ship, and Hellboy is in there talking to three men over drinks, and he's recounting the events of the Third Wish, telling him all the crazy stuff that happened to him when he was down in the Bogrush's lair. And drink, sir, for that's the only cure for a world so strange. Let's drink to this journey's end, and safely home. And the sailors, or the I assume they're sailors, all in here with Hellboy. They sing a sea shanty called Man. the Mermaid. I love a good sea shanty. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, why. I actually looked this up. Uh, I was listening to it earlier. That this actual sea shanty and the words are a little different. The 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 words. I, I wonder if there's just different versions of them. Absolutely. But also, I wonder if Mignola maybe put his own little twist on sure. there. And they're all. I mean, it's pretty much the same. The captain is saying she's going to be a widow. His wife is going to be a widow. You know, and the raging sea did roar and all that stuff. So. If I have time, I'm going to try and put a little piece of that sea shanty in here uh, so you can listen to that. And up speaks the mate of our gallant ship, and a well-spoken man was he. 
Oh, I have a wife in Salem by the sea, and tonight a widow she will be. Oh, the ocean waves do roll, and the stormy winds do blow. We brave tars are skipping at the top. The landlubbers lie down below, below, below. The landlubbers lie down below. What's your favorite sea shanty? Around the table, let's... I really have no idea. <laughs> Mine is probably chicken on a raft. Okay. I don't know when I was I was playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag. You can collect sea shanties, <laughs> and and then I when you're when you're playing and them. when you're sailing, uh, there's these beautiful scenes where you're just sailing places, and the the your crew will sing the shanties that you've collected. Yeah, that was that was oddly and, calming. Yeah, and there were some good ones. I wish I knew their names. I'll have yeah. to come back later next week. I'll have to come back and tell you which sea shanty. I think shanty we've I had like. this conversation. No, I used to <laughs> I used to love watching you play these Assassin Creeds games. But I only wanted you to do stuff like, okay, wait, stop, turn around, walk over there, let me look at this. Like, right. And so <laughs> I, would, I, I was really just into the atmosphere of the game. And then finally, finally a video game gave me what I wanted out of the video game, which was just walking around and looking at stuff yeah. and someone describing what the fuck I'm looking at. That's yeah. the only reason I wanted to play these if, fucking if games. If you're if you're fans of Assassin's Creed or, or even if you're fans of like Egyptology, absolutely. Um, the new, the latest Assassin's Creed has a discovery mode it's where so you fucking you basically awesome. just take a tour of ancient Egypt. I stayed up way too late doing this. Yes. I could do it all night. And, it, it, and there's no fighting. It's just learning and looking at people and being a total fucking nerd. And I love it. <laughs> looking and at just, people like awesome. use a loom or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just you were like, watch this, and it's some guy just using a loom or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just like, I just love wandering around in ancient <clears throat> Egypt, man. Don't you know? <laughs> no, no shade, no shade at all. That actually sounds. Pretty awesome. It's very it's calming. Fun. It's, it's, it's fun it's to watch. Really, yeah. So <laughs> anyway. So back to the sea shanties. The, yeah. The, the, these guys are singing their sea shanty, and they hear some loud booms outside the ship, and Hellboy tells them to relax. And when he looks out the window, he turns back, and they're all just skeletons, right? This skeletons. whole time that he's been talking to them, they haven't been there at all. It's just a bottle of rum and three skeletons. These two pages are so famous. I can't even count how many yes. times I've seen them just out of context completely. For good reason. They're truly fantastic, you know. Instant classic, these pages. Yes, the the page where he gets the rum, I love that page. I just love the pacing of it when he realizes yeah. that they're just skeletons and you know, he just gets the rum and then on this next page where he sees Hecate <laughs> what does he say there? Don't mess with me, lady, I've been drinking with skeletons. Yeah, classic. So, um, I gotta say, I got kind of excited when he turned back and they were skeletons because I, um, don't mess with me, lady. I've been drinking with skeletons. Yeah. I remember once years back, I found that that single. 
that single image frame yeah. and I changed it to um, the word bubble to say, happy birthday, John. I'm Aww. drinking with skeletons and posting yeah. on your Facebook <laughs> Yeah, page. I remember that. That's become, kind of a, that's become kind of a hobby for Hellboy enthusiasts is to re-edit this page yeah. to be talking about this, that, or the other, which I really like. It's like the Batman slapping Robin gif. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very limited meme. Yeah. It's a yeah. very in-joke meme. So Hecate is waiting outside to talk to Hellboy, and she thanks him for killing the Bog Rouge, saying that the Bog Rouge would have stolen what was hers, and that's Hellboy. The creativity that Mike has with the speech balloons or the word bubbles, however you say it, is always, it's, you know what I mean? He never just uses one kind of look for a scary, otherworldly <laughs> sort of voice. He's got these different... Yeah. I don't even know how to, just different aesthetics for each character, which I love so much. I love that. I like it's it, too. very creative, yeah. Because it just, you know, it just reminds me back in the day when you see the different um, bubbles, it, you know, that their voice sounds yeah. different, more right. ethereal or crudural. It adds so but, much to the tone yeah. and the, uh, I don't... The, the pacing mood. of the dialogue, yeah. I, I think. And I, we've even seen on some later story or some earlier stories that, He'll sometimes put the dialogue smaller to, yeah. to emphasize that somebody's whispering or saying something to themselves. I, I really like all this, that. This particular look right here, I think, adds so much to the the mood the mood of it. I guess. Yes, I, one thing that makes me wonder is it really um, how much does the letter the letterer have in uh, say on what the letter? Yeah, like? we we haven't yeah. talked about that. The letterer is Clem Robbins, and Clem Robbins does most of the lettering for Mignola's books. Cool. We should start calling out Clem Robbins a little bit more. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's an art form in and of itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hecate pledges peace to Hellboy and tells him that they are not enemies but are agents of change bound together. And Hellboy's like, yeah, 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 I've heard all that before and wake the devil. And she questions. He said that. He said that to her. Yeah, he's, he did. He, he goes, remember that, remember that other story that. that we were in? She questions why Hellboy didn't just die. She says he chose life he chose life for this and she opens up the iron maiden and there we see elsa's elsa's body is still Hell in there no. and then it just clangs shut again well, just, it, it, i think goes, the fuck Grrr. not <laughs> yeah yeah the sound effect of, you know Grrr. yeah yeah, but, yeah and then there's, and there's skeletons in there i like that little nod though the, the little tension to detail that the yeah. skeleton is still there yeah well and i think also she didn't like open herself up and chuck it out yeah <laughs> well i think also ilsa had um <laughs> didn't she have like that furry stuff like is that what that is on the skeleton there like oh yeah that's her jacket her jacket uh, and stuff gross. yeah so um she's still in there Con- with all continuity her... guys coming in hey i love it what is what was his name i called him continuity guy but that's not his name He's oh scott editor, alley yeah <laughs> We also learn that Hellboy was down in the ocean drifting for over two years. And just like I said, this is about how long we had to wait between the Third Wish and the island. So he was just out there that whole time just drifting in the water. Much like poor John here. I know, right? (laughs) Hecate lectures Hellboy that he cannot go back to his former life and that a storm is approaching. All the people he cares about will live through torture until he, Hellboy, decides that it's enough. She tells Hellboy that he can end it all now with a single word. Mm. I wonder what that word is. I wonder what he would have to say. A whisper. I love Hellboy's response to her rambling. You still talking? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, the and, rum. and uh, <laughs> Hecate warns him, you are better off drifting in the sea than remaining an hour at this place. And I like this line. He says, do I or do I not take advice from a big talking can? <laughs> 
But she tries to warn him. She says, you know, th th this place is bad news. You're better off just in the water. But he uh, Hecate tells Hellboy that they will be together on the last day. Recall her talk with Rasputin at the end of Conqueror Worm. Right. She also said that to him. And Hellboy says to just stay out of his way till then. And he throws the bottle off the cliff where he's standing. Hecate... Uh, the Hellboy finds a castle. Good old Hecko. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Hellboy finds this castle. And here we see the color palette change a little bit. You talked about yeah. this, how it was just like, up until now, it's just been like kind of all blue, grayish, greenish. And now we see this yellow. It really kind of stands Love out. so much. And it's not just the yellow. It's it, everything around it. Oh, this fucking colorist. Everything around it. Takes on sort of a warm tone, yeah. and, and it's it's not. We didn't even get a lot of warm warm tones in the third wish it's either. Really nice. So it's really kind of a a nice little turn here. It really stands out. You can out. see like the depth in the different levels of the rocks. And yeah. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. Anyway, Hellboy. He seems inevitably drawn to this yellow path that's coming out of the castle, and he's even saying, "I should go back there and see if I can find another bottle." What the hell is but, this? But, he, but he's still drawn yeah. towards the castle. And inside the castle, we go in there and we get one of these like ghost scenes. We've kind of seen this before where something terrible that happened is still kind of happening there. Like that, in that, Diablo. Or like in uh, The Chained Coffin. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Hellboy, is a, he seems to be observing, or I don't know if maybe we're just observing what looks like uh, the Spanish Inquisition awful they are about to execute a non-believer and they tell the man that he is an enemy of their faith and i think that we can tell by their christian garb that they're that they're christians that they're, that they're christianity and the old man requests for them to kill him already he says that they must kill him such is their fear of him and the truth mm -hmm. and he says the truth right and he asks the priest where the lord is and the priest says that his lord is in heaven and as the priest is telling him this, they kill the non-believer, running him through with spears. And I love these red, tinted red right. panels as they're killing him. It cuts over to, you know, the crucifix as well. The old man, having been stabbed through, he calls them fools. And he says he's, he pities them. His God isn't in heaven. It's here in him. You know, we kind of see that as he was run through, it's all this yellow stuff coming out of him instead of blood his amulet his little thing that he's holding kind of like a rosary it's got the Agdru jihad it's it's like a serpent with yeah. seven heads yeah. the colors here i keep so, saying that but i'm sorry just... so as as we cut back out to the castle we see that this yellow fluid that was coming out of the man is like this yellow stuff that's everywhere on this path and as we, and soon as, as sorry as soon as hellboy walks into it such great timing here. It's excellent action. Oh yeah, the pacing. These I these love pages th these pages really go really nice and we get that quote from Muthlomi as well. Now you are at the very crossroads of right. your life and all your roads lead to strange places. And as soon as he steps in that stuff, just like Danielle said, it's got a good little sploop. Yeah. I love the timing. The action is fantastic. And yeah, this giant kind of sand monster springs to life within the sea of yellow and Hellboy is startled and thrown back. And there's just a lot of great motion shots as Hellboy is getting thrown around. I love how he's like, yeah. his neck is whipping back as he's like getting pushed forward by all the turmoil of this monster moving around. Mm -hmm. And Hellboy gets pretty pissed. 
Um, and he grabs this little sword to attack the monster. I love this panel where he's like, come on. And this sword sword is like so skinny. It's such like a little (laughs) tiny, you know, toothpick against this giant snake, sandworm, whatever. And again, we just have some great action here. And Hellboy recites some lines from Gregory Peck's version of Moby Dick. I think this is probably one of Mignola's favorite movies. And I actually pulled this clip. I'm going to try. I'm going to. We were listening to this. I played it for Danielle a little earlier. And what did you say? Acting. Acting. It's a pretty intense scene. I watched it. It's a. I actually found it on YouTube. It said Gregory Peck's best scene ever. That's where I found it. <laughs> Damn. Um, I want to see that now. But, but uh, he's really. Uh, he says, oh, damn it, whale. But Hellboy gets cut off, I guess, by this thing thrashing before he can say whale. From hell, heart, I sympathy, for hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee, thou damned whale! Well, hold on a second. I do want to say, though, when I started reading it, the very first thing I, I thought of was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Really? When Khan was saying the exact same thing as he's activating the Genesis device because... Yeah, but it's from Moby him, Dick. Well, it's to him. You know, well, of course it's from Moby <laughs> Dick. But, I mean, I saw that movie when I was like nine oh, years old. Oh, yeah, no. Okay. And so... <laughs> oh, so, See, wait. I, d- I didn't. I saw uh, that uh, like... Okay, so yeah. I didn't know this. So <laughs> what? Khan says these same lines? He says the exact same lines. He goes, from hell's heart I stab at thee as he turns some dial on the dance. <laughs> Yeah, because to him, Kirk is his white whale, and oh, he wants to murder him. Oh, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that in too if I can find that one. <laughs> if I can find that one, I'm gonna cut both of them in so you can listen to both of them. I want to hear both of them now. Well, definitely the Gregory Peck. I mean, I love the con stuff. The Star Trek is the best one in there. <laughs> Extra. But uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to say that's what that reminded me of when I first started reading it. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. So as Hellboy's attacking this creature, stabbing him with this little sword, the creature goes down but only temporarily, and Hellboy's already taunting it as it rises up, and he gives probably one of his best oh-crap moments right before getting fucking stabbed right through the chest with this giant barb. So that's pretty messed up. And uh, we immediately cut to Hecate. You were warned, right? She told him he was better off being in the sea than being there. And Hellboy's just, he's dying here. Um, He drops the sword and he just gets flung backwards. I like the way this worm is moving in this panel. It's really fucking... And we see that little barb is looks so tiny. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Compared yeah. to the to the rest of the worm. Well you get a good sense of scale by the birds here, I think, too. Oh yeah. Flying by at mm-hmm. such a low level compared to how high the worm is. And as Hellboy's being flung back, we get a little shot of Mothlomi as well. Yeah. Um, standing there with his staff. With his bird staff. Hellboy gets thrown into the castle. He falls in there. And as he falls into the castle, we kinda cut back to the ghost flashback. And we see the old man that all the yellow stuff was coming out of and the priest who ordered his execution. The man tells the priest that he just set it free. The priest thinks that the yellow thing is fleeing, but it is actually really barring the door so no one can escape. The old man says, As in the beginning, I have delivered my god into the sea, and now you've done your work. None of you will ever leave here. 
I die, this is my tomb, but in 500 years I will rise again. The human body is too weak. In death, a greater strength will be granted to me. I will cast off my afflictions. I will put on new flesh. I will live again to finish what I have become. I will come to give sight to the blind, to reveal to man the true order of things and the secret history of the world. I kind of read through all that, but as that dialogue is coming through, it is just paced so perfectly with what's happening. So Um, Very chilling, too. Yes. And so uh, I want to talk about the imagery a little bit. Hellboy gets thrown in there. And the man is the man that all that yellow stuff came out of. His body is still there with all the spears through yeah. it. And Hellboy's lying at his feet, bleeding out. And when he says, I will cast off my afflictions, all the spears fly away. And you see, like, kind of Hellboy's blood is going into his body. And so when, he, sa- when he says, I will come to give sight to the blind, we see just all this cool imagery to reveal to man the true order of things. We see, like, a bird rune in there. And on this last panel, we Love see it. what looks like the right hand of doom, you know, in a, in this like cosmic Kirby crackle stuff. Mm-hmm. Although that's going I will on. say that Mignola's very decidedly put his own style and spin on this crackle now. At this point, it's it's not oh, Kirby yeah. crackle anymore. I really do think. Yeah, that no, this you're is absolutely right. I don't think that it's that at all. I, I think that this is just mignola texture at this point because if you look really closely at these pages you can tell it's just it's it's his style and it's his common shapes in there that you see him draw a lot yeah and i just i just think the these last couple pages of issue one are just perfect example and really stresses how well mignola does the pacing and with his art and the dialogue in his books it's really just perfect and i think this Fantastic really, storytelling. It, it, yeah. it draws you right into the mystery for the end of this issue. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. The secret workings of the universe. I don't fucking okay. know what that what is. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're going to go into issue two. We open in on what looks like Africa. It kind of rem- it kind of looks like when Hellboy had his dream and the third wish and all the lions were there. And Hellboy is with Mothlomi and he says, oh crap, am I dead? Mothlomi asks Hellboy if he's ready for it to be over. Hellboy says, not yet, and Mithlomi simply says, then you should live. As simple as that, Hellboy asks, and Mithlomi says, you know better. And he says, sorry, I lost your bell. He apologizes for it, and we cut back to when that shark that shark scared Hellboy or whatever, and he dropped the bell. But Mithlomi says, nothing's lost, and he has the bell again in his hand, and he gives it to Hellboy. Nice. And Hellboy wakes up to a ding. Wish I could do that when I lose my car keys. I know, right? <laughs> Nothing's ever lost. The old man is sucking up Hellboy's blood like we saw at the end of issue one. And he asks Hellboy, what are you? And I kind of like, you notice how Hellboy is kind of like gray-hued a little bit. And he's yeah. like, he, he's too weak to stand. So you kind of get the idea that all his energy is, is being transferred. Hellboy asks the man, what are you? And the man responds with, what were you and therefore what am I? So it's kind of just really letting us know that all of Hellboy's blood is going into this man. And we get some great shots here as they explain that Hellboy's blood is recreating the man. I love this um, this one panel on the yeah. left here. Super gross. Um, it, yeah, it is so awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> There's this great little piece of dialogue where he says, And if I have taken your life, as I know I have, then what is that body that moves and speaks? And Hellboy's just like, Jesus, pal, you're making me dizzy. And he just looks at him. Like, I think, like, that's kind of like pacing. (laughs) Totally didn't answer (laughs) his question. That's definitely a beat, for sure. 
And he says, look, there in that corner, that heap, that was my enemy. That was the priest and those guards that were ordering his execution in the flashback. The man reveals that he was also such a man. So I wonder, does he mean that he was also a priest? Or yeah. He, yeah, he was also he a was priest. He was this guy. Okay. Yeah. He was this fucking guy. And, but he doesn't remember much of that life. The fall of Tenochtitlan in 1521 was led by Cortes. It marked the downfall of the Aztec civilization and was the first phase of the Spanish conquest. We can assume that this man was killed during that time and he was born again under the city. There he learned the truth. Oh, man. He learned the truth from three gold tablets written in the first language of the first people. Older man than him down there taught him all about it. And we see this old man speaking a similar language to the one that was spoken by the Agdra Jihad and by Roger when he was possessed by the Conqueror Worm. I love shit Mm -hmm. like this. I fucking love it. I live for it. The entire secret history of the world inscribed on three gold tablets written in the first language of the first... All these weird sigils are just perfect and awesome. It's just this big, weird, grandiose, legendary thing. I just... fucking can't get enough of that yeah it kind of resembles cuneiform a little yeah. bit to me um, well it's a little more it's a little more it's a little bit more uh, embellished I yes think. that's a good word fancy yeah yeah <laughs> and it just keeps going and in, in, in any other story or movie or show or book or whatever you you get little glimpses here and there little flashes of things like this but with this book it just keeps going i'm so grateful this exists yeah like he doesn't just say oh yeah there's a secret super cool history of time and existence but it's secret no that the man actually gives it to us it's more fucking awesome than you think it's gonna be and that's it's just really rare i could stare at these pages forever i went over them like 10 times right drooling at the sheer awesomeness of what we're about to talk about so i'm just really excited about it when when we see this old man he's got the amulet of the Agdra jihad also it's like the same one that the guy had yeah. in the beginning scene, but it, well, the I guy. I think that is the same one. Probably, it, 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 I think it is. But in the beginning scene, one, it's kind of chipped at the bottom. Yeah. So I get the sense that maybe when they killed him, it's it kind of it, it got damaged. Yeah. yeah. They cut the mentor's throat. And they had the tablets melted down. He had already committed them to memory, and the man was returned to Spain after learning the secret history and given to the Inquisition, where he was tortured. And we get these panels at the bottom that are tinted red. And I really like how it's not super gory or anything, but it's, it's really, it's more you just like get like, oh, yeah, you don't have to see the gore to be like, oh, that's, well, that's it's some better. nasty shit. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's worse. And eventually the man was rescued by the Rosicrucians. So Rosicrucianism is a spiritual and cultural movement which arose in Europe in the early 17th century after, after the publication of several texts which purported to announce the existence of an unknown esoteric order to the world and made seeking its knowledge attractive to many. The mysterious doctrine of the order is allegedly built on esoteric truths of the ancient past, which, concealed from the average man, provide insight into nature, the physical universe, and the spiritual realm. The manifestos do not elaborate extensively on the matter, but clearly combine references to the Kabbalah, Hermeticism, alchemy, and mystical Christianity. The Rosicrucian manifestos heralded a universal reformation of mankind through a science allegedly kept for decades until the intellectual climate might receive it. So this sounds right up Mignola's alley, right? Um, So it's great that he makes references to it. It also makes me think of his research process a little bit. I'm not sure that Mignola's like, 
let me go see if there were secret people that were into this. Like, it makes me think, like, this is stuff that he researches or maybe is into, and he's learned about all this already. You know what I mean? It makes me wonder what that research process is. Is this stuff that he just looks up leisurely as he part of his has general interests? Books that he. Because he's talked before about referencing his books. I had to go back and find this book that I had read a while yeah. back, and he's thinking about these concepts. He's like, oh, that would fit in here. Maybe I should go look this up yeah, again yeah. and check it out and see if it would fit in as well as I think it will, something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I always got it as his sense of, like, you know, he was a fan of something, and he started researching that, and then that led him to that. It's like, right. sure. It's like modern equivalent would be going down the rabbit hole in the uh, Wikipedia Right, articles. exactly. Well, he's always posting things that he's watching in his studio that he's got on his studio while he's working on his Facebook page and his um well not his Facebook but on his Facebook account and he's and I think that he like in any of us he's inspired by things he's interested in probably right. so I imagine that has something to do with it yeah I just like thinking about stuff like that yeah the Rosicrucians brought the man to their most secret place and hid him with all the other artifacts from lost civilizations and they mentioned Lemuria Atlantis Ur and Babylon he had become the last living record of the true order of all things, even to the beginning of time. And That's where um, it fucking gets awesome. But yeah, before we go on to there, I just love all the atmospheric shots in in this um, where they kept him with all the other ancient artifacts. It's it's really beautiful. He does he does a middle medieval city squares very well. Yeah, even to the beginning of time. Even to the depths and breadth of the abyss of the self-creation of the power called God and the birthing of spirits. And here we see um, just some truly awesome artwork and concepts. So in the beginning of time, greater spirits were sent down to watch over Earth. They spoke 32 words. And one of the watchers dared to raise a hand and take fire from the air. I just want to talk about this panel that's one of my favorite Mignola panels. I love it so much. I want to get a tattoo yeah. of, of the oh, Watcher yeah. pulling fire out of the air. Absolutely. I just really oh. love that panel a lot. Um, right. It's, it's one of my tattoo. favorite things. Yeah, and, and just reading through this whole thing and getting to this spot, it has such a significance on top of it, too. Yeah. With the fire, the Watcher created the Ogdra Jihad from mud. The Watcher put their seals on the beast and put fire into it, but nothing happened until... This fucking page is so awesome. Until I'm at sorry. night, yeah. And and the artwork on this is incredible when you see the the Ogdrija hat in its full... You know, so far we've just seen it encased in the in in the abyss or whatever. Yeah. With all the little flames around it. Yeah, all those little flames are the other Watchers, yeah, well, right? Yeah, it's just right. cool. They gather all around it, and the, I mean, it's just incredible. It. And oh, so... Man. This is another cool thing. You can go back if you have the sketchbooks. He draws all the different jihads. Yeah, so And so metal. he, like, I think he sketched them all out individually and then put them all together in this clump, you know, to figure out how they fit together. At night, the Angra Jihad came alive, and with all that darkness, it birthed the first living creatures, the Ogdru Hem. I like this part where it says the darkness entered into it and gave to it and to all its parts function and purpose yeah Ugh. that's super scary and and the purpose was to create the Ogdru hem so that's what the darkness gave it gave them that purpose to create these 369 Ogdru hem children so recall in conqueror worm issue three when von klempt was visited by the angel of death who was really rasputin in disguise we learned that if the conqueror worm had not been defeated by roger lobster johnson and hellboy it would have destroyed the world called out to the stars and the 369 children of the ogdra jihad would wake up and come out of their prisons on earth and in the sea 
them. I think that we can assume that Saduhem from Seed of Destruction and the Conqueror Worm and now this one er, that we're going to find out is called Ergohem, that big sandworm. These are all part of the 369 Ogdruhem. That's a lot. Yeah. The Watchers were so disturbed by the Ogdruhem that they set war against them until only the Ogdru-Jihad remained. Then the Watcher, who had taken the fire and crafted them in the first place, sent them out to the pit where they currently are, well, it says where here, they're trapped in these shells. It says here the Watcher raised his hand again. To oh, imprison to imprison them, them yeah. Them into the abyss. Those, these panels are... It's I mean, beautiful, yeah. Words to describe how fucking awesome this is. This is just the most epic mythology you could even think of. And then all the other watchers, they got pissed at this one that raised his hand and took the sure. fire because he caused mm-hmm. all this stuff, right? He created the monster. They had to fight 369 bug monsters because of him. <laughs> so they struck him down and saw all those pieces consumed except one. And Hellboy's just like, shut up. Yeah. And he's like, the right hand. Hey, so, <laughs> so this is just mind blowing yeah. here, right? That that Hellboy's right hand the is origin of the hand. It's it's come down through the very beginning of the world, right? In the beginning of darkness. And it also kind of adds a little bit of like why um, why his hand is important to be able to open the uh, to reality. Yeah. Why his hand is important to be able to release. Well, the that's, yeah, the whole purpose of yeah, yeah. It, it it sealed it created them and sealed them. So yeah, it's really interesting. It's the best possible lore for this yeah there's no way i mean it i yeah it's just fucking great the watcher's master was was pissed down about all this too um about all this that had happened and so he cast some of the watchers into the pit and he cast some of them onto earth and after the storm passed the lesser spirits became the first men the golden people who built their cities in hyperborea hp blavatsky is referenced Helena Petrona Blavatsky was a Russian occultist, philosopher, and author who co-founded Theosophical Society in 1875. She subscribed to the anti-Christian current of thought within Western esotericism, which emphasized the idea of an ancient and universal occult science that should be revived. Blavatsky stated that the theosophical teachings were passed on to her by adepts who lived in various parts of the world. Fundamentally, the underlying concept behind Blavatsky's theosophy was that there was an ancient wisdom religion which had once been found across the world and was known to various ancient figures such as the Greek philosopher Plato and the Hindu sages. Blavatsky connected this ancient wisdom religion to hermetic philosophy, a worldview in which everything in the universe is identified as an emanation from a godhead. Blavatsky believed that all the world's religions developed from this original global faith. And according to her writings, there will be seven root races associated with the earth, and each root race being divided into seven sub-races. The first root race was the astral etheric, Second root race was the Hyperboreans, who we're talking about here. The third root race, Lumerians. Fourth root race, Atlanteans. Fifth root race, Aryans. And then the sixth and seventh root races are yet to appear. To date, only five root races have appeared on Earth, and the sixth root race is predicted by Theophysis to emerge in the 28th century. The seventh root race will only appear after seven million years in the future. So if you're listening from the 28th century or seven million years in the future, let us know if any of those root races have, have yeah. emerged. Uh, write in and let us know here at the podcast. So I thought that was really interesting. 
So the Hyperboreans, they kept the right hand of doom preserved in amber in a golden bowl. When Thoth became king, he had the hand put into a statue. And this statue stood throughout the Golden Age for 10,000 years. So I think we've mentioned Thoth before. He's typically an Egyptian god of writing magic and wisdom of the moon, typically depicted as a man with the head of an ibis. I haven't researched this as much, but Thoth is sometimes known to have ancient knowledge as well. For sure. Um, this is referenced in the Book of Thoth by Aleister Crowley. Yeah. <laughs> and w- when we see the Thoth statue, we also see the lilies as well. I don't know if you noticed that the lilies are all around it. For sure. Yeah. The statue witnessed the downfall of these golden people as they were corrupted by the black goddess. And so I want to point this out at the bottom where we see the black goddess and we see these people like worshiping around her. We've seen this face before, but yeah. it didn't have a label. Sometimes Mignola mm. puts in these like kind of mood shots. Absolutely. And it's just like an evil face. And so I was trying to go back through everything that we've read to try and see where I've seen it before because I know we have. Yeah. And I have nothing better to do, right? So I'm just well, going to there's, there's one in his office, isn't there? In so, office? I'm not sure, but in, in Seed of Destruction, no. In Wake the Devil, when Hellboy first runs into Hecate, I feel like there's one in the background there. Okay. But I swear that there's another one. And then there was one at the end of issue one of yeah, the island yeah, yeah. when all the blood was going into that we saw her face there. Super neat. So that's the black goddess. The statue wept and it came alive and it killed all the people for being seduced by the black goddess. And then it killed itself. It dashed himself over a cliff and all the pieces were destroyed except one. And Hellboy's just like, I don't believe it. And he's like, you do. And he goes, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, this is a lot. So to yeah, put this, on someone, and, the, and this is crazy. So yeah, yeah. When, when you go back and you look at the statue, that's where it got that stone hand look. You, if you look at the statue closely, it has two. Both of its hands are like that. Both oh, of its hands yeah. look like the right hand of doom, but only the right hand is the significant one because that's the one that pulled fire out of the earth. And the statue is kind of like golden or brown. So the blood is the blood of all the Hyperboreans that makes it red. Uh, and it's a stone because it was part of this statue. So that's fucking crazy. So good. That, wow. <laughs> the man tells Hellboy that he will rest there until Doomsday. And now the man is going to fulfill his purpose. Well, he says, Creature, rest here in place of my bones till Doomsday when that hand will be raised again. Yes. Uh, also, I like how he's starting to get the fire crown over his he's head. He's got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good little detail. And the man explains that his purpose is to wake the Ogdruhem. And you better not be at Stonehenge when one of those wakes up yeah. because there's one right fucking under there. And I love Hellboy. He's like, geez, pal, I've known some guys who could talk, but you win. So (laughs) think about all the times that people are lecturing him. Hecate, Rasputin, Bromhead, all these people. Oh, that's all he ever gets. All these people are telling him Astaroth or telling him stuff. He's just like, shit, you've just, you're. (laughs) You take the cake. You take the cake with everything. that's true. I actually do, uh, you know, agree with that. No sarcasm, just because this is the best possible origin story of anything I've ever read. Mm Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah. And I've read a lot of nerdy origin shit. This is the best. Yeah. And now you kind of understand why yeah. Hellboy fans, myself included, are just so deep oh, into fuck this yeah. stuff. Well, no, and I that's mean, not... I, I, I've, I've never second-guessed that. Of course, I think... I've always thought that all these stories in this art were wonderful, but having read this, I've... It's... Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a new level of understanding. It's fucking the man awesome. Re- yeah. The man references the frog monsters that we saw in Seed of Destruction and how they're the new race of man already being born. And mankind must make new idols to the spider or the fly. So we know Hellboy is part yeah. House of the Fly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, which idol would you go with? You, you Spider or fly? What do you think? Uh, spider. Okay. <laughs> I just like spiders. But I think I'll have to go with the fly just because it's associated with Hellboy. I just kind of want to be one. I'm just a groupie, and I just want to be whatever side Hellboy is on. Is there a weird bird house? <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we can make one. I don't know. Maybe those aren't the only two. Maybe it's like... They, we feel like there's only two po- main political parties, but there's really more, you know? Eh. doesn't have to be two, so maybe that's what the spider and the fly are. I don't know. <laughs> I um, like the little skulls with all the weird candles in it. Yeah, so the frog monsters will take strength from the Ogdruhem in the air and raise the Ogdruhem out of the ground. Paint altars red. <laughs> <laughs> While he's lecturing Hellboy, I love how Hellboy's just like, hey! Hey, and then he just turns and looks at him with like a question mark over his head, <laughs> yeah. like, "What? What are you saying?" He's like, "Well, you're fooling yourself if you think people are going to start to roll over and start praying to monsters." <laughs> but the man says that the monster made from his blood will show p- people proof of the new religion, and this is where he references Sadu Hem, um, who was the giant monster from Seed of Destruction, who was born out of blood at Gorinum. So Gorinum was the capital city of Hyperborea, and it's also where Saduhem was. So that means when that Arctic expedition that the Cavendish people kept going on, that's the city that Cavendish was obsessed with, but he didn't realize it. It was the capital city of Hyperborea. Mm. That's what's in the Arctic. And so the old man's monster is Ergohem. The old man, as he kind of is going off, he's assuming more of a demonic shape. And he starts talking about how he's going to cut out eyes of non-believers. And Hellboy's just like, oh, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) And he just starts becoming more enraged. The man would rather destroy his people than have them live under a plague of frogs to be subject to the reptile. And Hellboy's just like, I knew it. Right hand of doom, boom, number seven, as Hellboy just punches that that giant monster. And isn't that number eight right and after? And we get number eight right after, exactly. And we cut to Mothlomi again, holding his staff. And the man's like, this is impossible. Some other power is at work here. And we see that Hellboy's holding the, the, bell, the bell, right? Mm. He's still got the bell. Nothing's lost. Hellboy stabs uh, the man through with a spear. But we realize that he's stabbing himself since he's stabbing his own blood. Stop stabbing right? himself. He stops stabbing <laughs> The spear turns back into Mothlomi's staff. He sees the bird. Yeah, and he sees the bird. He says a wooden spear becomes an iron staff with a bird. Pathetic. And we get a little shot here of Mothlomi again, and we see Edward Gray standing right behind him. They're watching all this happen from the elsewhere. Hellboy is thrown back from the castle, and the man here now rising in full demonic form, he says that he is everything Hellboy was meant to be. Looking cool. Yeah. Looking good. And Hellboy's still out fighting Ergohem, and he positions him, himself just right. He's like, yeah, yeah, come and get me. And Ergohem comes down on this, like, ship mass that was sticking out of the water or whatever right at the right angle. Got, like, a dragon heart situation going on here. Yeah, yeah. So he was made of Hellboy's blood, but this monster's made up of his blood. So now that Hellboy has stabbed this monster through or got it to stab itself... Now he's getting hurt, right? And we see that all the blood just kind of drains from his body really quick. It's a really quick three-panel. There's even, like, an exclamation point where he's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? As, like, all the blood is going out of him. And now he's a skeleton again. Now he's a skeleton again. 
now he's talking to, I guess, the ghost of the priest, uh, kind of finishing off that flashback. It's like this last rites or whatever has to finish. It has to continue. Boo. The last rites that were given hundreds of years before are allowed to play out by their skeleton counterparts, and the man is cast out by the priest even after death. The man asks for mercy, saying, The truth. And the priest says, Truth, who are you to speak for the spirit of man? And he is cast out to hell. And as he's cast well, out, he says, he's just saying, The truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he says, Your abode is a nest of serpents. In hell. Damn. And that's when he... <laughs> that's cold. Yeah, it's super cold. So that's it for the secret history of the universe. Now now gone, right? Fucking awesome. And Hellboy walks away. Well, that was something. Yep. We cut back to Mothlomi and Edward Gray. And it seems like Mothlomi has broken some rule or something because Edward Gray's like, do you know what you've done? What is life without risk? I like when he says, I will miss the grass and the animals. Yeah. It's very succinct, but it's very it's a very muslomy thing to say. And now he's got to, I guess he's going to go down into the elsewhere with all the doina she. Sure. And Edward Gray says, things will be worse now. Do you feel it? I smell the smoke. The fire cannot be far behind. The three skeletons still sing and drink. Hellboy fashions a boat together as Hecate watches him sail away to Bailey's the pilot. Oh, pilot, tis a fearful night. There's danger on the deep. I'll come and pace the deck with thee. I do not dare to sleep. Go down, the sailor cried. Go down. This is no place for thee. The end. The end. Um, I like these little snakes. I want to boop their snoots. Sorry, what were going to say? I was say, before we uh, get into the epilogue here, I just want to say that this creation myth was really just... Like, when I started reading this, like, I take it with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah, you know the secret history, whatever, dude. And yeah. I'm like... Whoa. They're gonna say the secret history. Exactly. And then like, You're gonna yeah. get it now. Uh, yeah. But then it also kind of gave me a feeling of um, when I was reading. Uh, well, I was trying to read the Similarian by Tolkien. And uh, Yo, hey, everybody fucking hates on that book. So oh much. no 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 no! Don't get <laughs> me wrong. I love the idea of the book. I just never finished reading <laughs> it. <laughs> Literally but, every person tells me that. But uh, you know how the creation myth at the very beginning and how they were singing their song, yeah, oh, and then so good. and then the other guy started singing his own song to distract sure. from their song, and I'm just like, that's probably like. One, I've always thought of one of the best creation myths that have ever been around. Yeah, but this, I agree. This thing but right this here. But this is the one. Mm-hmm. This is the one Yeah, this for is sure. really good. Uh, yeah, hard agree on that. I, yeah. I love how you mentioned that because I was thinking the same thing when he's all saying he knows the secret history and you're just like, yeah, yeah. But then he like really does. You're like, holy shit, this is super That's interesting. Awesome. And yeah, issue two of The Island, when that issue came out for me, I was just, I had to keep reading it. Like I, at first I didn't get it. I was like, what's going on? I had to read the story several times before I was able to get it like to sit right in my brain. And even then, I was just like... I read it's one it of those over and over again yeah. just to stare at the pages. Just it, to... it, It's something that you can definitely keep coming back to yeah. and pick up stuff every time. Well, and Mike Mignola had talked about... I had I have an edition of it where there's like a little afterword where he talks about that he was, quote, drawing and discarding whole pages. And it's, it's helpful to know that masters of their craft struggle and learn. It, it, I think that somewhat inspires me to you know, keep going with my own stuff and realize that this struggling is really what it's about when you're creating, whatever you're creating. You come right. out better for it. You're always learning. If you're doing it right, you're always learning something. You're throwing away whole fucking pages and starting over. And I recently had to do that with something. And um, while I was doing it, I was like, this is fucking, this is the worst. And after you come out the other side, you're like, I'm so glad right. I did that. Now I have this 
thing and it's I'm better for it and I you know after afterwards you're you're glad that you went through that metamorphosis as painful as it is while it's going on afterwards you're so right you're so excited that that you've did grown go down. through that yes yeah. you're you you know it's 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 what it's all about yeah in the end is that that learning and growing and so that's it's exciting to me to know that even someone who's been drawing this much and who's created something like this has these things where he was like yeah that was fucking hard for me to do yeah. i yeah it's not easy it's it's hard and it should be and it, that's good and i i like that I yeah it's cool and he's not afraid to talk about it openly be like yeah i fucking threw away whole pages man I, yeah for real yeah I, I i really i think that's i think that's really great to get that kind of um per, those personal stories behind the creation of a something that you like so much so i was really grateful to be able to read that yeah and this was definitely a huge story when i was talking to you earlier you were like why are we only reading four issues this week and i was like well, because no, we're I reading the island you right. know i was like we're gonna need some time to well, talk no, about i this. was like how long are these issues and you go it's four issues and i was like oh i was kind of surprised you know but i was like yeah sure i i don't doubt that there's plenty of content yeah. of course to talk about but i was a little bit surprised but no obviously after having because i had to read it like 10 times just to <laughs> even wrap my head around yeah. how fucking awesome it was let's talk about the epilogue really quick sure yeah so we see an old woman and Gragash. Gragash hopes Hellboy is dead, but the old woman says that he still lives. And this little bird comes down and says that he's coming home to England. So that's where he's sailing to in, at the end of the island. Gragash says Hellboy must be stopped. The panel of them showing him um, sailing back is just beautiful with yeah. the, uh, the sun and the red light. Really and the, and the, yeah, yeah the and, I, and, and again, we get some different hues the that we weren't getting. The, yeah, yeah, hues yeah. is always so good. Gragash asks uh, why the witches haven't done anything. And the old woman says that Hecate has not answered her calls for three days. So he's just, so Hecate, she's out there on the island. And, um, I didn't even check my voice, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, the old woman recounts Hellboy's origin and his parentage. We, he we learned that his father was a prince of shale. Um, and we already learned about his mother being a witch. And I just love some of these panels where we kind of relive. Go back to those um, I, I always like seeing uh, Hellboy's birth moment re drawn a, another time. And she explains how now Hellboy knows he's not a man since he's come back to life. And he's also seen what he was meant to be. Not only in this story, but I feel like also in Box Full of Evil, when um, Wallach took his crown and turned into a, a, a giant demon, that kind of showed him, too, what, yeah. what he's supposed to be. And that the fact that that all of this would affect Hellboy and how his everything plays out is right. interesting yeah. in and of itself to me. The old woman tells Gragash that he cannot beat Hellboy, but Gragash still swears his vengeance and says, if there must be an end, let it be loud, let it be bloody, better to burn than to wither away in the dark, not to go quiet, not to go unnoticed. Oh, you gods of war, let it be war. I don't know about that, man. And uh, <laughs> and we see all the Doina Shi with their spears and stuff, um, I guess, ready to go to war. And Gragash just has this, he just has a real grudge against Hellboy here. He's not going to let getting uh, being burned with iron just go by. Let it go, man. And we see this little bird at the end again where it I says the end. Guy. With the question mark. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this a little bit. When we saw that note coming out of Imolg Fada, didn't it kind of look like this? little cave at the uh -huh, top yeah i was wondering if that's where they are well it was in a hill 
Oh, it was in a hill. Yeah. It was in a hill, it so it looks a little around. different. But also, Mothlomi's tent moved around, so maybe it can move yeah. around yeah, or something. Know. But it made me think of that Twitter comment that maybe it was a single whistled note. That little bird is in there, so yeah. that would make you know yeah. that would make a little note. Hmm. I also want to talk about. What did you guys think of Hellboy dying and then coming back to life? Like, mm. that's a that's a pretty significant thing that, you know, I remember when I read this the first time, I was like, holy shit. Like, he got stabbed through the heart. He died. And they brought him back to life. There's a lot of magic involved, though, with his journey. So it didn't surprise me. I didn't know what the long-term ramifications of that would be. But I'm, I don't know. I'm, I, if I had to guess, I would say that we haven't seen them yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I'm guessing you read it in issue form, and you read it, and then you had to wait a month to get it again the next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For me, it was just like, next page. And so (laughs) I I didn't actually get the sense that he actually died, died. I figured, like, he was on the brink of dying, Mm. but he chose to fight. You know, like, kind of like, I guess, if you're, like, in the hospital, you know, you got to fight. Right. Fight to live. Yeah. You know, um, so that's kind of what I got it. That's how I kind of took it as that. Right. I thought that... But the, the whole getting stabbed, I was like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought the wizard guy maybe had something to do with it. I don't know. I don't know. Which I wizard guy? Mothlomi? Uh, yeah, Mothlomi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. No, that's what I'm saying. Is like, I don't really oh, understand okay. exactly what happened, but I'm sure that knowing the way that Mike Mignola operates is probably going to... I don't know. That might not be the last time. Right. Here, yeah. Just like you kind of talked about a little bit, Danielle, Mignola and editor Scott Alley have both described the island as being a difficult time. It was just supposed to be about an old man in an old house with fungus people. And then Mignola left and he went to go work on the Hellboy movie. And then when he came back, he said, all these pages are crap. And he <laughs> threw out all the pages. Well, he realized he wanted to do, he's like, look, if if people are going to be paying attention to this because of the movie, I want to already have an origin story set in place so that you know for them so that maybe and it's got to be really fucking good because he's all of a sudden gonna have all these new eyes on it probably that right is uh, because you know people are introduced to characters through movies a lot i know that there are people who see the movie of something that have not read the book and go back and read the book later so i think that was a really cool fucking idea and like i was saying before I, i just love how he's he had the courage, basically, to just throw, chuck out all this work he did and be like, no, it's not fucking good enough. Right. Doing it again. <laughs> gonna fucking, we're going to do it live. I was going to say, I wonder if it also has something to do, because you said he just got back from working from the movie. Um, I remember reading, like, one of the reasons they finally revealed the origin of Wolverine is because the movies were being made, and they didn't want uh-huh. the origin of the character to be first seen in a movie yes. to taint people's vision oh. of the character. They wanted to control it. That's Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's a that has a little bit to do with it. But luckily for us fans, if I know in the library edition, it has all the extra pages that weren't used, and they're really interesting to look at. And the story yeah. is like really going in a different direction. I do really like if you get to look at them. The fungus people look uh-huh. awesome. <laughs> they look so cool. I would love to see them come back in another story someday. Well, even Manuela um, was talking about, wasn't he? That he was like, well, I do like the I do like the fungus people. I do like drawing them. Yeah, they <laughs> so look really was, great. Yeah. And so when he came back from the movie, he started writing it again, and he just couldn't finish it. So then he replotted it a third time. In the afterward, he says why he was compelled to tell the secret history of the world. And in retrospect, he did feel like it was become because of the movie. And so I think that you guys are right on with, with uh, some of the stuff that you were saying. He says, Sometimes things move faster than you intend to. 
if you want to keep your thing living and breathing, you have to let it go where it wants to go and hope for the best. There you go. There you go. Love that. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So this was a great discussion on the island. This episode is probably two of my favorite Hellboy stories ever. Yeah. I just oh, love yeah. these two stories. I just think they're beautifully drawn. I, I, I just love um, everything about it. So I'm really happy that we got to discuss these today. I think and we're all probably in agreement on that. That's Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I'm excited to see where things are going to go next. So this has been a great episode. I really Shit enjoyed yeah, it. dog. All right. Oh. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Penangalane. Shit, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> so tell us your thoughts on the third wish in the island. Did you enjoy it as much as we did? Send us your thoughts at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club at Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we're going to be discussing Into the Silent Sea, The Crooked Man, The Peng... And The Penangalan. Thank you, John. (laughs) (laughs) You just let it go. Pull out your back issues, trades, library editions, omnibuses, or download the digitals. Do your homework and join us along next week. Uh, You can find the podcast at Podbean and Apple to iTunes. Uh, I know we're on Spotify now and other places. We should be on all the podcast services. If you can't find us, let us know and we'll we'll get on there. But we should be on pretty much everything. So, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, there you go.